and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today we're bringing you part six of the Tourism Awards special. Wow. Kia ora, Chambers. Kia ora, Michelle. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Can you believe we're nearly halfway through these Tourism Awards finalists? <laughs> halfway? And it's sick. This is awesome. There's so many. I know. I know. But it has been lots of fun. I know. I say this every week, but I really enjoyed today's interviews. Three really unique stories and perspectives. And once again, showing why tourism is such an incredible industry to be involved in, right? Yeah, absolutely. But before we get to that, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do because we need to announce the winners of the trip to the Poor Knights Islands with Dive 2 to Kaka. I know this is a very special day trip it offers the ultimate non-diving poor nights experience with sightseeing kayaking cave explorations snorkeling swimming snippets of fascinating history and island facts and of course great food and they're often accompanied by marine mammals including whales dolphins and orca so this prize is valued at 458 dollars and we asked you our listeners just to head across to our instagram or facebook pages and tell us why you should win and holy moly there's been heaps of comments and so many of you want to win this prize it's been a very very popular competition but there is a common theme that's come through and uh, not surprisingly it's all about being locked down mostly in Auckland and the Waikato and people just wanting to get out and do something new once they're allowed to so yeah Michelle you're absolutely right we've had a huge number of entries we've gone through and we've chosen our top five for you and we'll draw a winner from these so number one Jonathan Goodson says, I would love to take my mum on this adventure. She has been working flat out during lockdown, vaccinating our community and deserves a treat. She loves the ocean and I know this would be perfect for her. Yeah, I loved this one. And we've had quite a few essential workers enter as well. So just a huge shout out to all of you and thank you from us for everything that you do. But number two, we had Levi Murdoch. Teague, I think is how you would pronounce that. She says, I would love this, would be the motivation I need to help me finish off the last of my master's in marine science. This would be amazing. Wow, great. And then Johanna Hollis, the sea is my happy place. I've been struck down with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia this year and can't think of anything more healing than floating in the ocean right now. Agreed, Johanna. And Liz Yip. I believe my partner is a mermaid stuck on land. That's brilliant. <laughs> Poor nights would be a great place for him to feel like himself again after the lengthy lockdown. And I'm kind of thinking, Chambers, he might be a merman rather than a mermaid. Our last finalist was Taniqua, and I hope I'm saying that um, correctly, Taniqua. She says, I'd love to go, please. It's my 30th birthday in December, plus my 10th wedding anniversary, and also my hubby's birthday too, all on the same day. And wow. we've had to cancel plans we made, but would love to do this with hubby. It looks stunning so yes we agree with all of those and wish we had more than one prize but we don't yeah. and here chambers i'm showing you are the five names five yeah yes yeah. oh here it is it's stuck in there so i've got five i'm gonna throw them up in the air a little bit 
and I'm going to choose one and unwrap it. And it is Taniqua. Oh, well, that's cool because you get to so, celebrate. Yeah, so yeah, you'll be celebrating your 30th, your 10th wedding anniversary, and your hubby's birthday too. So congratulations, Taniqua, and we hope you enjoy that prize from Dive to the Kaka. Yeah, let us know how it goes when you get to do it. Share Absolutely, and tag us in all your tag photos. Us, yes. <laughs> Okay, so back to the show. First up, we welcome Kaylee Spirith from Time Unlimited. She is one of the finalists in the Tourism Industry Champion category. Full name Kaylee Tafare Tanati Hema Spirith is a New Zealander of Māori descent from the largest Ngāpui tribe in Northland, with the added bonus of her Irish heritage on her paternal side that affords her the gift of the gab. Kaylee is a direct descendant of Patuoni, the Peacemaker, and Tamati Wakaneni, two of the main signatories on the Treaty of Waitangi, New Zealand's founding document in 1840. Kaylee is passionate about her Indigenous culture and wishes to share her experiences of a rich living culture that uses the essence of time to draw on the past, present, and future to ensure her manahuri are central to the experience and feel integrated in a meaningful and connected way. Winner of several global tourism awards, as well as this year being named one of the world's top 25 global guides, wow. she will share her extensive knowledge and love of New Zealand in a way that ensures people and places are equally respected. That is some bio. And next up, we have Sam Taylor from Christchurch NZ. He drops in to talk about their industry collaboration finalist entry with Christchurch Airport. Sam is a senior marketer with a background in branding across the private sector and some of New Zealand's most iconic brands, including Just Juice, V Energy and Juicy Group. In his current role at Christchurch NZ, he leads the team delivering marketing across the full economic development remit including tourism. This means he has an understanding of how tourism marketing fits into the bigger picture of economic development goals and how important a strong destination is to a place more generally. And finally, we welcome back Tori and James Burns from the Russell Orongo Bay Holiday Park. So we had a chat to them last week about their Resilience and Innovation Award, but this week we're talking to them about their second finalist entry, and that is in the Community Engagement Award. And Tori and James have also offered our listeners a fabulous prize. It's a weekend stay, which is two nights in the Russell Orongo Bay Holiday Park Studio Bayview cabin for two people valued up to $360 and you've got until November next year to use this now there are some blackout dates over Christmas New Year which we completely understand but to be in to win this one this is strictly for our podcast listeners just go to the Destinate NZ website subscribe to my newsletter and you will not only be entered into the draw, I'll also send you my 101 tips to supercharge your marketing. So Yay. it's, um, look, we're giving away everything this week. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that there's lots of listeners out there itching to get away. And I know Auckland, you've got a couple of more weeks in level three as it stands. So we are really thinking of you up there and let's hope that, somebody from Auckland might win this prize and get up yes, there over the summer. Yeah, that would be perfect. It would be. Awesome. 
So anyway, well, we better get on to the show because we've got some yeah. great interviews lined up and we don't want to hear them chatting to us all day. So have a great week, Chambers, and we'll talk and to you next week. Talk to you next week. Cheers. Okay. Well, when we have champions in the room, there's a little song that pops into my head and I think most <laughs> of you will know it. It's by Queen, but I'm going to save you from my singing voice today. It gives me great pleasure, though, to welcome another one of our tourism industry champion finalists, and that's Kaylee Spirith from Time Unlimited. Kia ora, Kaylee. Kia ora, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. So, Kaylee, tell us a little bit about your career to date and where you started and how you got to where you are now. Yes, well, mine goes a little way back. So, I've just um, had a significant birthday. Um, but started, if I really think about how, where it started as a 13-year-old, actually, in the Bay of Islands when the cruise ships used to come in. Oh, wow. So our, our local hapu, um, Ngāti Ho, had a, like most people, a tourism bus with lots of arts and crafts. So I used to be with my grandfather. Oh, oh. there on the wharf welcoming people in. Yeah. And then just over the course of the career, from a family perspective, we were always hosting people on the marae. Um, being part Irish and Māori, there was um, lots of Irish parades and, and festivals on our marae with sort of those strange tribe up north, <laughs> most uh, cultures mixed in there. And mm. so it's just been part and parcel of, of doing the manaki, the, the hosting people and join meeting people from all over, over the globe that would come through just um, in a small farming community like ours, um, just south of Waitangi, actually. Okay. That's where I've grown up. Yeah, so yes, wow. so when I think back, it was right in the very beginning and really came from just hosting people and just loving that whole people aspect to, to why we ended up being in the tourism space. Brilliant. So how did you go from transitioning on your family, Marae, to doing what you're doing now? What was the journey that well, you went on? It's like most people's journey. It didn't actually sort of go in a straight line. So yeah. I've um, headed away. I was one of the first to leave our little rural community, farming community, mm-hmm. and head to university. And I was quite um, taken with things like management systems and and anything that organised people, operations management. And that's where I sort of studied mm-hmm. at Waikato. And then from there, saw a company I wanted to work for, and that was with Ernst & Young. So I've been in corporate life. Um, saw a lot of um, the event side of organizing things there but my background was in quality risk environmental health and safety okay. and so I went on to consult to lots of within our company for our own purposes but to lots of other corporates and that took me global and when you've got a I'm a, one of 45 first cousins on my Irish side <laughs> with always that aspect to go and live there so I <laughs> yep. to, to like many um, Kiwis we did our OE But I was able to sort of, in effect, go home and go to Dublin and base myself there too. So there's been lots of things, consulting jobs. And when you're a serial business owner like Nail and I have been, um, you're always looking for something. And and as we came together, our story was a literal love story. We thought, why why don't we combine the love of travel, the love of people and hosting and, and showcasing what we enjoy? And that's where... I always say this is not a job, it's a vocation. It's something that you really passionate about when you get into tourism. That's awesome. And so what kind of training and professional development have you undertaken throughout your career to get you to where you are today? 
I, I'd say, Lisa, it's more about um, life skills. As we all know, once you once you get into the pointy end of tourism, it's it's the relationship game, and that's that's what I've loved most about it. That any mentoring I've done, I've always said to people, if you're going to get into the space, you really do. I know people always put on their CVs, do you love uh, working with people? You actually really need to. Mm. And that's not just the people you're hosting, it's all the supply chain, making sure that who you're hosting, who you're handing on to, that it's really seen as a an end-to-end experience. And that's mm. what, we, when we looked at this, we thought, what could, sector could give us that? You know, there's many great sectors and, and industries, but this one gave us all the things that we could do, the touch points. And what I also, from the cultural side, I, I could be, as I like to say, where do you um, go where you can be paid to be yourself? Where can you mm. be um, your best self? And for me, mm. I could be Irish, Māori, Kiwi, what, whatever it is, you just bring your, your A game and who you are to the industry. And that's what I've loved about so how long have you and Nail been involved with Time Unlimited? Like most people, you start in the garage. And, <laughs> and actually, Michelle, you've probably known us long enough that yeah. we're one of the ones where people talk about the baby. <laughs> we literally had the baby with the business and the many times when we'd have interns or staff saying, could you hold the baby because we're about to load up something or get the cars ready so it's been like most we've had that that whānau business where it's evolved and like everybody now we look back and think did we really spend money on that did we really go down (laughs) track but you have to actually do some of that even those of us now came out of uh, running major shopping malls and from that side in Europe and I had my corporate career and, and it doesn't really prepare you as well as you think. You know the business side, but mm. it's really getting your hands dirty. So we've, we've done it all. We always say to people, you don't ever work for us. You work with us because yes. we've done it all. We'll mm. get out and clean vehicles. We'll pick up the phone, do the emails. It's it's an all-encompassing. But in the same token, we've never done anything we don't enjoy. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. That uh, was interesting. You just talking about the baby because your recent birthday, there was a photo online, obviously, of you celebrating. And I did laugh when somebody said, Is that the baby in the photo? It's <laughs> now, tw- uh, well, she's 12, she's 12 but we yeah. started 16 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, describe for me your biggest achievements and how they've impacted on the businesses that you've worked in, or that you've owned and you've worked in and you've created. Yeah, I suppose, you know, with the whenever you go for awards, you want to list down what others have, have acknowledged you for. But it's sometimes the little things. It's the fact that people um, want to work with you, mm-hmm. that you've been able to retain those people, that you can be go into something like COVID and know that they're still um, going to be there when you come out and there'll be opportunities. Uh, there's also the fact that we have a model where people run their own businesses. So we always wanted to make sure if our business could give others opportunity, that would be great. So it's been quite a few because of the flexibility. And that's things that people don't understand about tourism. You can be a mum, you can be a um, a school teacher, but there's weekends, there's after hours, there's ways that you can participate. And that's Mm -hmm. what we've been able to say to people. We say to them, how do you want to work with us? And that allows you to be who you want to be because that allows us to attract great people that bring skills and life experiences that we need. Um, Other small things is just, you know, surviving. 
to be honest, I think what this whole thing has shown us in the last 18 months is have we got the tenacity, the resilience? We do know already as business owners how to do the oily rag, the pay the people, <laughs> rob, you know, rob yeah. somebody and pay somebody else. Reality is you can only do that so long. So it's about for us with the innovative piece. Yeah. Always looking for something a little different. If we look at where we started, we were actually known. Some people still ring for it. Can you do the kite fishing tour? Could you take us out on kayaks? We let that go a long time ago. Oh, wow. We've been through lots of things. The active um, things. We started as a hobby business. We love all those activities. The walking. So we thought, let's make some money. Yeah. It came back pretty rude that actually you can't always make money for every hour on the water. We had two or three cleaning and it just didn't run. So we've then worked our way into a luxury space. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you just have to realize that when one door closes, another opens. Um, There's been like anything highs and lows luckily more highs mm-hmm. that has kept us here and, and wanting to fight for this so yeah, yeah. oh that's great to hear great. and what have you done to champion your sector and the wider tourism industry throughout your career yeah I guess for us you know being a little bit older I really get excited when I see some of the the 20s 30s getting excited about their ideas you almost want to say like when I've hosted people, I have honeymooners and I then have the 50-year anniversary on the same tour. Right, yeah. I always say to the ones that are 50 years married, could you do let them just find out for themselves? Yeah. Let them go through the highs and lows because that'll make them stronger. But, you know, you always want to give advice. So when we've been able to mentor um, other people to get into their own space in tourism or it's been through student internships, it's about being measured in our advice and also remembering we're always learners. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reality is the amount of technology changes that I think about in the last year, let alone the last 16 years, it's about always being interested in what others can, can do for us mm-hmm. and then being smart about it. If we never want to become experts in it, let's find good advisors. Let's mm-hmm. uh, support other people that might give us advice. So we, we've sort of set our business up that it can be part and parcel of that supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working at the moment in supplier diversity, making sure that if we can be mindful of those who supply to us and then who do we supply to and diversify that a little bit more with young people, women, all those groups that may not get those equitable outcomes would be awesome. Yeah, and that's what we try to do in our business. Oh, cool. I like it. Great initiative. Yeah. And you talked about mentoring then. So how do you feel about and what do you do to foster the next generation of tourism leaders? It's about, I guess, if they're interested, it's nurturing that. But I wonder whether we also, what I like to do is look outside our industry and work out who should be in it. And (laughs) sometimes trying to attract new blood means we get a little bit more innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may, you know, I guess it's like everything. We also need to know when it's time to go. And Mm -hmm. this period has actually forced a few people's hands. But I know the ones I've kept in touch that had to leave, for whatever reason, have found another passion. Mm -hmm. But they never lose the love for tourism. So it's actually spreading that message and and making people realise that whatever you do in tourism, whether you're passing through or you're going to stay for a while, that you learn transferable skills. And I guess that's that's the key is that yeah. you get the customer service, you get 
good time management. Mm -hmm. There's lots of skills that our industry, if you break it down and forget what role we play, whether we're driving coaches or or we're um, hosting people, there's skills that other industries would love. So I guess it's about making sure people don't see it as a, would I get a real job? Yeah. <laughs> a vocation because it will tick lots of boxes and it's a lifestyle. Yeah, and the reality is we meet great people, including we work alongside great people. Yeah, so I'd like it to be infectious. I want to, other people to realize it can give them so much more. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun too, isn't it? It's amazing how many people we've had come and go from the industry and I know there's one in particular and we I think we've talked about him and we haven't had him on the show yet but John Gregory I remember having a leaving party for him at trends one year and we all joked saying you'll be back and sure enough the following trends he was back (laughs) and we had his welcome back party and you have to actually get a list of what gifts were given so they (laughs) oh we didn't go that far (laughs) I think it was more about buying him a beer but (laughs) (laughs) but no it is infectious and you're right the skills are transferable and it's really interesting it was interesting to see some of the tourism people who lost their jobs in the first lockdown last year what they ended up going to do because they did have all of these amazing transferable skills and people skills should never be underestimated and I think tourism people probably have some of the best people skills because we're dealing with the world We'll look at some of the things, natural disasters and things that happen to our people all over the country. Mm-hmm. If we just pick ourselves up again yep. and keep going. And that's got to be commendable. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I think there's a genuine care, isn't there, in our industry for people. Yeah. And other people and our guests. Mm. So, Kaylee, what advice do you have for the young leaders coming up through the industry now as one of our champions? Yeah, the reality is, I guess, I think we have the social license to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found sometimes we've rolled out things, and I'm talking we, the royal industry, we. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have to roll it out first before we can do that. Oh, yes, it's okay to say kia It's yeah. okay to do stuff. And, and I think our new leaders um, that are coming through, there's no rules anymore. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm loving about COVID, if we... If we, if we can talk about all the negativity, but the positivity is there's no rules anymore. So what we thought was the norm and you get in the industry and you do have to learn some of the, this is the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Now we can rewrite, build back better is a, a term that I'm hearing a lot. Yes. And I think this is our way to give ourselves, it's okay. We can build back better because yeah. we're an industry that's already doing a lot of good um, alongside our event industry as well we're already doing the stuff I was really surprised when somebody said to me oh but we have to actually wear masks and actually wash our hands and I was like wow we've been doing that a long time we've always washed our hands yeah. it's, like, <laughs> it's like you have to have something happen before people yes to, to get that um, social license it's, like, it's okay I'm going to do this now yeah. so I think we've always been quite an industry that are leaders mm-hmm. And so we're not, uh, we don't need them to say become leaders now. We always have been. The key now is to say, let's lead by things like well-being. Mm-hmm. Let's have those front and center because any global organization that's doing well has usually got well-being down. 
Mm-hmm. They've got environmental doubt. You know, those sort of yeah. things they don't have to have workshops about. They mm-hmm. are value-based. And I think that's what I love about um, tourism. We've got values that I think um, we need to just say, yeah, we live by those. We don't compromise on those. And all the things we're seeing now, finally, the Tiaki promise, the commitments, they're all just basically saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and so, it's, it's almost the norm is it? it's how we do things it's yeah. you know I, that's yeah. what I'm thinking is that we're we're an industry where the norm is what others are trying to catch up with yeah we can be ahead and say okay let's use our platform to show people that this is this is how you get ahead yes so for those mm-hmm. leaders I'm just saying you know they lots of taglines be brave just just do it just yeah. get out there and because the key is there's going to be two things people are either going to be naysayers or support you so yeah. I find if all the years I've been in business, um, I've never had anyone that said, actually, no, I want you to fail. I really want you. You don't see that. You see competition. Yeah. And that's yeah. natural. But I've never had anyone that really openly has said, <laughs> being quite adverse and stuff. So, yeah. 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 Great supporters. Yeah. I think we're coming to the end of our questions here. Is there anything more that you feel that with this award that you want to add? What made you get to the point where you thought you should enter these awards? Well, I guess it's like the other two, you know, they've put themselves out there. And if we don't, we're not actually um, standing up for what we love. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of, it's actually, someone's got to represent. And for me, I think what happens in our, particularly our Māori cultural space, what I'm loving and seeing is that it's not just those of us who are of Māori heritage, that it's something all of New Zealand needs to own. Mm. Our industry's been working really well towards that. That it's, you know, I remember being in an All Blacks game and someone said, "Isn't did you enjoy that haka?" And I said, "No, did you?" Because what from what I could hear, there was a lot of screaming. I think we all enjoyed it because we can all own that. That's our yeah. that's our cultural identity, yeah. and that's really important. So, um, in putting myself forward for something like this, it's saying that there's many of us as champions. But there's got to be somebody that's just happy to say, you know, I'm going to put my myself up there because we're all winners. You know, I know it's a cliche, but it's about that winning combination with lots of things. Even when anyone wins an award, you always hear them talking. It's about the people. It's, yeah. And it's not ever them. It's the people they represent. Yeah, for sure. And well done for putting your hand up because that's not always an easy thing to do. I think it's a lot easier to put yourself forward for a a business award than it is for an individual award. But thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed hearing your story and your journey through the tourism industry. And to me, I'm sure to Chambers as well, it's very clear why you're one of our tourism industry champion finalists and we wish you all the very best at the awards ceremony we're hoping it goes ahead as planned (laughs) that's purely just it's one industry we like to celebrate and we have to to stop for a while because there's always more we can do but sometimes it's good to just say let's just reflect yes stop and put our feet up and have a drink together and a few laughs a good time and celebrate some success and thank you for this opportunity. I think um, all the finalists are, are going to be happy to get the mileage out of this and uh, <laughs> yeah, keep the so. suspense going. I think yeah. it's sort of like, yes. <laughs> well, sometimes I think the announcement comes out, and I know TIA are doing profiles of each of you through their channels as well, but sometimes, and particularly with this weight, 
because yeah. of COVID between the yeah. announcement of the finalists. It's nice to keep the excitement Momentum. going and, and tension building. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing everybody when we can all be together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I said on one of our other podcasts that people should start letting us know who they think should win. We should run the people's choice. <laughs> no, yeah, we should. It's been a trend because when the winners or the finalists are announced, it's very quick and you see it in the news and the media coverage. So it's really nice being able to hear your stories from yourselves and yeah. like you're obviously doing some amazing work all of the finalists out there are doing some amazing work some of the sustainability programs we've got in place and the culture programs we've got in place and yeah it's just it's really quite outstanding what we've got in so it really the credit goes to you guys as finalists but it also goes to everybody who submitted because Absolutely. even a put that pen to paper to think to give it a go means that you feel like you've got something that you want to talk about and that's amazing in itself and we we've always used the awards as a tool for us to see, give us a baseline of where we're at you know mm. we've, we've got everyone has their own objectives but it helps you establish and right when you've got to have a word restrictions it gives you your elevator pitch it makes you <laughs> yes. read why you do what you do what's your vision what's your what's mission your focus? Exactly. And if you've got to be concise, it's like, do I really do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, perfect. I will um, let you go, Kaylee, and great to chat to you and all the best. And we'll talk, catch up with you soon. Thank you so much. Namahi. Namahi, Kaylee. We now welcome Sam Taylor to the show. Kia ora, Sam. Kia ora, Michelle. Great Kia to be ora. here. Lovely to have you here. Now, Sam, you're the Senior Brand and Marketing Manager for Christchurch NZ, yes. and you guys are finalists in the Tourism New Zealand Collaboration Award with Christchurch Airport. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. No, it's very exciting. I think it's been a huge project, and to have that honour of being a finalist is awesome for the partners, I think. It's great. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Now, can you just tell us a little bit about the project that you had with the Christchurch Airport and how you went about that and how you've Absolutely. together? Yeah, yeah. So the, I guess the project the final output was a, a new brand or a destination for Christchurch and Canterbury, mm -hmm. which is Explore CHC. And so, yeah, I have to cast my mind back now to when we first kicked off conversations with the airport. Uh, but it was a really exciting time where we sort of felt like Christchurch City was at a point in its economic recovery from the um, earthquakes of a, a decade ago, that it was really time to stamp our launch back into the market. And so we knew that the biggest strength of Christchurch is its sort of regional offering uh, and all the diverse destinations that are on its doorstep. So we decided that what we really needed to do was bring our coalition of partners within the region together. And we really thought that the airport and Christchurch could kind of lead the way and then bring everyone together. So that was kind of the vision was to was to launch a sort of city and region offering mm -hmm. and, and really be a lot more combined as a region in terms of how we promote ourselves. Hmm. Good. Nice. And is this collaboration, do you think you'll have it ongoing or will you roll it out again and has the scope for it to grow? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually just finished our second project together, which was a winter campaign for 2021. So unfortunately, the tail end of that sort of started to get caught up in some of the you know COVID disruption that's playing with all of us. But we were able to launch a kind of winter edition of it, which we called Winter Different. Mm -hmm. And it was a really kind of catchy and creative play there where we had a chairlift from a ski field flying around the region. 
and showing that there's much more to do than just skiing at some of our ski fields for a winter holiday. And so that was the second campaign we'd done. But ultimately, we have an absolute commitment, I think, all of us as partners to launch this thing every year with different sort of iterations to meet our goals, I guess, we have for stimulating travel. So our next kind of plan from here is to re-engage our partners and deliver an annual plan that everyone can sort of buy into. Uh, and that will include as well, evolving it into more of a, how would I call it, a sort of an always-on presence where we uh-huh. have more in market all the time rather than just the odd campaign. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. And will the focus end up extending to an international audience as well once we start to see the borders open? Absolutely. Well, the funny thing was when we first developed this brand, it was actually um, mainly focused on the Australian market. Okay. And this was pre-COVID when we first started talking about the the partnership. And then we obviously had to pivot like everyone else. And Mm -hmm. we decided to launch it locally to the New Zealand domestic market. And we're just biding our time and waiting for the right opportunity to launch it back into Australia and then into global markets as well. And a huge part of that, I guess, is, you know, not just through ourselves, but working with the likes of Tourism New Zealand, Mm -hmm. working a lot with the trade and other partners to kind of get them also using this brand and some of our key selling points for it. Mm. Did did you see some great successes domestically with it? I mean, I know it was only short because Mm. of the cutoff with lockdown, but was there a bit of uptake and buy-in from it? Yeah, we, I think one of the biggest tangible results we found was uh, with a partnership with House of Travel. So we got mm-hmm. some really good land and flight sales that converted through the campaign. Uh, to be honest, though, I guess when you're building a new brand, a lot of those measures are sort of, you know, they're not hard conversion metrics. And I find myself as a, a destination marketing uh, manager, that's one of the biggest challenges is it's really hard to have that attribution between above the line campaign and how many people you actually got to travel to your destination. So we had to rely on a lot of kind of indicator measures in terms of how many people have we seen coming through the airport or hotel beds and the like. And so we did see really good performance in that space, but we can never say, you know, that that was solely our campaign Um, as much as I might like to claim it. There's many factors at play there. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So when you go back to the start of this collaboration, Mm. how do you actually manage the different partners and how does that work when obviously a commercial organization through the airport and an RTO? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for us, and it's almost a bit cliche with partnerships, but it really was to have a clear vision in terms of what we were all trying to buy into. So Christchurch Airport, you know, their obvious kind of mandate is around getting bums on seats flying into Christchurch Airport. Mm -hmm. And in Christchurch NZ, our clear focus as well is to bring people to Christchurch. So from from an airport and city RTO, like the the kind of the synergies are really clear in terms of business um, priority. Yeah. But in terms of bringing on kind of our other district partners within Canterbury, that's where we really needed to be smart around explaining the kind of rising tide benefits all Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, Christchurch needing to be the hero front and center of the campaign doesn't mean that it's only benefiting Christchurch yeah and and making sure that our yeah our regional partners kind of can see the benefit for themselves so it was really about that vision of a strong Christchurch means a strong Canterbury yeah. and that they would all benefit from that. How has that gone down? I know I've worked up yeah. here in the North Island and particularly with the ski fields here and had similar challenges around region versus product versus which region should hero it because what's better known in Australia, for example, and it is quite a, a journey that you need to take a lot of operators on. How, oh. how have you guys found that? 
Uh, oh, it's it's a mixed bag, right? It's been a yeah. challenge at times where some people may take things very literal. And so when they see the word Christchurch instead of a particular, you know, region of Canterbury or district of Canterbury, they sort of feel like they're missing out or why are we investing in this thing that's is very Christchurch centric. Mm-hmm. But I think when you what to kind of counter that, like what we did was we really tried to build close connections with those districts to understand what their goals were and make sure that when we are profiling the connection to Christchurch, that we're still getting the key messages for the yep. likes of Kaikoura, for the likes of Pirunui. Uh, so we are showcasing their USPs or their unique selling points and using as much of their assets and their imagery as we can. Mm-hmm. So that was, I guess, some of the tactical things we had, like marketing briefs to make sure we were really clear on what they wanted to achieve. Because yep. it was very much not a matter of they co-invest and then we leave Christchurch and Z in the airport to it. It was very much holding hands along the whole journey and keeping regular kind of check-ins and reporting as well. Mm, cool. From my perspective, it looked like the um, partners got on really very well. And I think you did a really good job in coordinating that, to be yeah. fair, having been involved in some of it. So well done you. I guess you faced, you talk about, about a few of the challenges there that you've just faced and along the way. And were there any other hurdles? I mean, obviously you had lockdown, you had the fact that you had to get around these partnerships. Any other major challenges that you shook your yeah. head at? <laughs> I think the biggest one probably is from a creative point of view. So when you have, I think in the end, we had about nine different partners uh, when we developed Explore CHC of differing levels in terms of some of our you know, DTOs that were kind of coming on board in a smaller capacity and some of our bigger RTOs that had a kind of hero presence in the campaign. Everyone has different selling points. Everyone has a different brand, a different tagline and different goals. And so the challenge for me as the marketing lead and working with our creative director, my colleague Shara Benitez, who helped to develop the concept, was that we needed a consistent story across all of those. And so there's a natural tension there in terms of you're not going to be able to deliver 100% of mm-hmm. everyone's wishes. Mm-hmm. And so we really just had to find a sweet spot where we had a concept that was flexible, but also was take some compromises every now and then. So, you know, we didn't deliver 100% the campaign we could of you know, envisioned if there wasn't any stakeholders, you know, in the play. And that's totally fine that's the reality we all work in right in the RTO um, landscape so I think that's a really key one is to manage expectations up front that it's not going to be we all have to compromise on every front and I think that's what partnerships all about is it's kind of for the greater good um, yeah. yeah definitely and definitely when you've got other partners putting their money into it as well yes. obviously that budget is is always a tricky conversation to have when you're looking at trying to get outcomes like that so how did you go about sort of developing the budget and coming to an agreement on that side of things yeah I think there's there's a few ways in there so sometimes it is about agreeing what outcomes people want and Mm -hmm. then you can from a marketing point of view start to estimate what type of budget you might need to reach those measures in terms of reach or engagements or what markets you want to have a good presence in but then other times it is just practical in terms of who, how much money do you know we all have left over from the year, the financial year that's been, and how can we work together to make the best of that? Yeah. And so yeah. we've probably done a little bit of both sometimes. So it's kind of coming top down from a creative p- perspective to say, you know, if we want to have big impact with this campaign for six weeks in market, we probably need 
X amount of dollars, say $200,000, for example, and then see if that's even close to the ballpark in terms of what the funding partners could stomach together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we're we're off base, then we'll shrink the ambition of the campaign and reduce the number of weeks or reduce the markets we profile and we can tailor it to what everyone can fit with. So that's essentially how we've done it. Mm -hmm. And again, having tiered options was a really key thing I'd recommend to others if they're trying to develop partnerships with many different partners of different scales and sizes to not just have a one size fits all, um, but to actually have different options for hero regions. And a practical example of that would be our winter campaign. So some of our districts of Canterbury, such as the Mackenzie and Mid Canterbury mm-hmm. are really obvious uh, winter destinations and that's their sort of big season. Yep. But then you have others such as Hurunui, they actually are really strong destination all year round and winter's not necessarily their priority. Yep. So we obviously have different levels for different partners yeah that sounds smart way to do it is that done on an annual basis or do you negotiate every time you're coming into a different campaign yeah it's a good question we're currently making that transition right rather than doing it campaign by campaign we're now looking to build like a 12-month partnership yeah and we're very much it's a work in progress we're you know, while we're a finalist, we're still absolutely figuring this out as we go, like everyone else in, yeah. in this time. And uh, so till now, we've just done one campaign at a time for the last two. Mm-hmm. And we're now looking to go towards, a, I guess, a comprehensive package that offers, say, two or three campaign opportunities, plus an always-on presence. Mm-hmm. And then people can buy into that. And we heard that feedback. So I guess that's the other key point is we didn't just decide that ourselves. We did a debrief. And we really heard that from our partners that they wanted the opportunity to plan further ahead yep. and, rather, and not to have so much uncertainty about when we might come calling to, to work together and partner on opportunities. Yeah. So that was really important to yeah, take on that feedback and actually act on it, which we're doing now. Yeah, great. Have you actually had an opportunity to test it out into the international market to kind of get a taste for how that's going to work? Or? Yeah, we've shown it in some focus groups into Australia. I wouldn't say they were like a, a hyper-targeted focus group solely focused on this campaign. We were doing more general perceptions of Christchurch, <laughs> but it was a really good chance to showcase the creative and just see what messages people took out of it. Hmm. And I think it was fair to say that it really landed as something quite disruptive and quite different to what they were expecting but also some really interesting nuances around perceptions that people in Australia have held about Christchurch and making sure that the campaign is addressing those. So I guess what I'm touching on there is around the perception of a city that's still recovering Mm -hmm. uh, from an earthquake and making sure we've got enough of an urban um, presence in the campaign so people understand there is a big city here that is in a great spot um, 10 years on from earthquakes that is very much a destination in its own right and it's mm. not just a gateway to get out to the region as soon as you land. Um, mm, yep. So that's the sort of stuff we'll tweak, I think, once we go into those international markets. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And it's going to really help with a bit of regional dispersal. Pre-COVID, we definitely talked about that being something that we really need to focus on. And so partnering up with these other DTOs and RTOs really helps with that, I assume. Oh, I mean, absolutely. When you think about the fact there's, what is it, 31, I believe, RTOs, it's, you know... It, 
from a consumer perspective, that's just crazy. a lot of different yeah. messages coming at you and the boundaries between one district or one region and another are arbitrary. So yeah. I think the more we can partner around logical places of the country or logical experiences. I talk a lot with my colleagues in Wellington and Auckland about can we, is there opportunities to collaborate on campaigns around urban experiences? You know, it doesn't mm. have to be just how we've been mandated as, as council organizations or RTOs about how we deliver better work, I guess, to consumers to inspire them to travel. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes that's a hurdle just to get across the line of your elected <laughs> members. Because <laughs> obviously they're funding you and they're looking at a campaign that's got a Wellington picture in it going, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's a journey, I think, that every RTO yeah. is on and, <laughs> and absolutely. will continue to be on for quite some time, I'd say. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely agree. I think the more you can lean on evidence, you know, and data to back that up yeah. in terms of whether it's consumer research, I think that's one I'd suggest is kind of helps with that. But it's a very common yeah, experience in terms of managing stakeholders. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned the tiered aspect and not one size fits all, but any other yeah. tips that you'd give to other businesses looking to collaborate with others? A lot of it would be the 101 of partnerships, really, which is to not go to your partners with everything already dialed and completed and finished and mm -hmm. just like, here are your options, pick from them. Let's, you know, look forward to working together. It's more about co-creation where possible. So coming to them with some ideas and maybe a bit of a mm -hmm. framework, but actually being willing to genuinely take on their ideas in terms of what they want the partnership to become, I think is probably one of the learnings I've had from the first campaign to the second campaign. I think wow. we were on such tight timeframes and wanted to make sure we delivered this campaign first time around. We were quite controlling in terms of making sure it was staying within scope and within budget and timeline. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, if you can build further ahead and actually have really those exploratory conversations at the very beginning, um, before you put anything really to paper, I think it just makes people a lot more um, willing to buy in and feel like they're a true owner of it as well. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Mm. Sometimes that's not possible, particularly when yeah. it's an RTO. Like I think of, we were just chatting offline before you came on and I said there's so much pressure on RTOs when the world is going well, you guys yeah. are great and you're heroes and when it's not going so well, it's all your fault. Oh, <laughs> and I've seen that through my many years in the tourism industry and I've never worked in the RTO space and it's been hard to watch because obviously mm. I've got a lot of friends in the RTO space yeah. and, and you'd have to sort of stand up at industry gatherings and I have in the past and said yeah. no like read the papers this isn't a total yeah. thing it's not a Rotorua thing this is a global yeah. thing yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and I can completely support that I guess my role prior to Crash Z was working as the marketing manager at Juicy Group All right. Um, yeah. and so yeah I've had that opportunity to be operator side That's and right. yeah. it's definitely a huge difference in terms of the dynamics of being a destination marketer yeah within a RTO in terms of mm -hmm. you know there's a real responsibility to deliver to to your ratepayers or whoever may be funding the organization yes and because yes. everyone's funding you you know everyone's got an opinion everyone is kind of holding <laughs> you to account which is great but also yeah. really challenging to make sure you're still doing the very best work well that's um, yeah that's the thing yeah. you can get caught up in trying to meet their needs and actually that's not talking to the target audience because they already exactly. live in your region so yeah. they're not yeah, the ones exactly. coming to to visit so yeah that's something yeah. that is always you have yeah. to keep in mind as well absolutely yeah yeah and I think that's a lot of the challenge 
particularly when you're working in the brand development space where the results aren't tangible in short term, which is what everyone's desperate for in a COVID mm -hmm. uncertainty. Yep. They really want to see the sale conversion. They really want to see the short-term response. But the challenge as a marketer is we want to build the brand for the long-term while still having some short-term tactics. Mm -hmm. And I think as, um, you know, I think I've observed at least uh, internally as well, this is not just an industry thing, like kind of an impatience, I guess, and wanting to crack the code and kind of to, you know, to resolve these challenges that we've all got around the tourism industry. But it's a long game. And I think that Scott Calloway from the airport, who's our key partner in this one, wouldn't mind me saying, he just said, yeah, you've got, just got to be patient. You've just got to do what you can, but you can't just default to doing stuff for the sake of it. You've got to really okay. be very selective about, I guess, what's going to be, what's going to really move the dial. Yeah. And Scott's yeah. been around a long time, so he can absolutely <laughs> vouch to that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> absolutely hey look um thank you so much that pretty much brings us to the end of the questions i've really enjoyed chatting with you and obviously being um, a stakeholder in the mckenzie region have really enjoyed seeing what you've come up with in this collaboration so thank you for everything you've done and good luck on the awards night i guess we're all hot, hot, fingers crossed that it's still going to be a night where you <laughs> all get together <laughs> yeah Yes, fingers crossed. We'll get our vaccine passports ready at least. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. Awesome. Anyway, well, thanks so much yeah. for joining us and all the best. All good. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat. Thanks, yeah. Sam. All good. Cheers. So last week we introduced you to Tori and James Burns from the Russell Orongo Bay Holiday Park in Northland. Not only are they finalists in the Resilience and Innovation Award, but they're back with us this week to talk with us about the Community Engagement Award that they are also finalists in. So welcome back, Tori and James. Hi. Thank you. Great to see you guys again. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your business and why you should win this award. Okay. So Russell Arongo Bay is a family-owned picturesque holiday park at Russell in the beautiful Bay of Islands. We are set in 14 acres of natural environments. Um, we have 55 different species of birds, some really rare birds. Our cheeky wecker were filmed by the BBC for a documentary and we have kiwis that call around us at night. Oh. We have a kiwi trail that, that um, guests can explore at night as well to see if they can spot a kiwi and beautiful, magnificent starry skies as well in the area. We have accommodation to suit all types of budgets. So we have a large lodge, which we can fit around 60 to 70 people in. We have standalone cabins, self-contained cabins, cottage, holiday house, all different kinds of things. And then we have large numbers of powered and unpowered sites as well. Families and groups are our main target markets, but we also cater for couple getaways and we have special rates for individuals as well. So we cater for all types of people. <laughs> We're really passionate about our natural environment. We're members of the Ornithological Society and we've been Predator Free Holiday Park Award winners for 2019 and 2021. Mm -hmm. We're very privileged to have won. So Russell... And the surrounding area is quite a small population, mm -hmm. particularly in the winter. It really steps up in the summer. Yeah. But, so we believe that community has a really huge impact on our achievements at the park. And so we support locals and their businesses where we can. And we've developed some initiatives as a result of COVID 
which aren't generally associated with the tourism sector, but really involve our community who have been really open to our new initiatives. And we're just incredibly grateful for their support. Absolutely. Mm, that sounds wow. really cool. And can you talk a little bit about what your community engagement program looks like? So our program is split into three main areas. We Number one is the educational support and engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We offer our park for learning opportunities to schools. So local schools are free to use the park whenever they like to come and use it for environmental purposes or for their own educational Swimming purposes. Pool. Yeah, we oh, yeah. have a pool that they come and use. Yeah. We take our, we have a Kiwi at the park. So the Kiwi unfortunately was hit by a car on the road. So we asked Doc if we could, if we could taxidermy it. (laughs) (laughs) It's called a wrongo. And we we have him in a, in a predator stance with a stoat. So we take a wrongo and our stoat around the country to different Mm -hmm. expos, roadshows, and talk about the educational opportunities that we have at the park and about the predator free work that we do. Uh, we support students in summer jobs with work experience, internships, voluntary positions, and we help prepare bestoke itineraries with the teachers um, who are preparing for education outside the classroom. And we do activities at different schools as well, and not just in Northland, but also around Auckland. So we do predator-free activities we make tracking tunnels and talk about all the work that we do up in Northland to protect our environment and to keep the Kiwis population growing. So, yeah, that's part one, the educational <laughs> side of it. Yeah. Um, part two is around local businesses. And we engage a lot with our local business. We support and promote all of them as part of our school curriculum requirements whatever we think could fit well with the school, then we contact the business and we work out pricing and group sizing and how it would work and how it fits with school curriculum. So we're always looking at all of the businesses in the area, how they can manage group sizing. And we're pretty lucky because we do have some amazing businesses in the area. So Waitangi, we work really closely with. They also do an education program, which is really popular with schools. So we make sure that we're always working together with them. We have heritage buildings like Pompelier Mission, Russell Museum, Kerry Kerry um, Stone Store, Kemp House, lots of businesses that we work with, but not just the bigger businesses either. We also work with um, local tour guides, little kayaking businesses and one recent school actually even asked to see the kiwi picking process so we got in touch with a company called orangewood in kerry kerry and said are you happy to show a school around your business and show them what you do and so anything that works in with school requirements we help them with their um, itinerary because generally schools don't know what we have to offer up in northland yeah, and I guess they're relying on that local knowledge, aren't they? Just you guys are connecting the local industry with people that are coming in to visit. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. And so how do you work through that kind of process to develop that type of programme? How does that come about? Was this just a rare idea or you sat down? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, did, we identified that schools were one of our biggest target markets that they would also support us through the winter months when the internationals can no longer come. 
So that was one area that we decided to focus on. So generally, it was just talking to the schools and finding out what they wanted and how we can support them coming to us and then talking to the local community. With that question previously, what does your community engagement program look like? There was a third part to that. All right, uh, yeah. Well. The third part of the program was local community and how we engage with our local community. Mm-hmm. So during COVID, we identified a huge gap in childcare, which we spoke about at our other um, podcast. Yes. Yep. So just talking to our local community, seeing what gaps there are, how we can support them, getting kids into nature, introducing them to our holiday programs and offering it to guests as well. Yeah, so that was education, local businesses and local community are kind of our three main areas that we really focus on and spend a lot of time supporting. And and those three areas, did they come about by the two of you sitting in a room brainstorming or was this a team approach that you took or how how did you involve your staff the community yourselves how did you all get together to come up with this plan well I think initially we needed something to fill the winter months because it is quite quiet even in the winterless north yeah you don't get a lot of uh, of people come up there in the winterless north so initially I think it was thinking a little bit outside the square as to what we can do to help fill in that time of course then that would keep our staff busy as well mm-hmm. but engaging the staff I think again I think we we learned that they had other talents to them that could assist us with what we were doing yeah and uh, the local community just uh, anything I think to keep them busy they jumped on board and we were offering a good program or something that made sense to them to to engage them and I think they were as much as we were thankful to them I think they were thankful to us that we wanted to to deal with them and wanted to interact with them and I think everyone has been quite flexible in what they were doing to try and accommodate us and for us to try and and assist them so that's yeah often in those smaller communities it just takes one business to kind of become the leader doesn't it to bring everybody along with them and to stand up and say okay we've got an idea let's all push together to make this happen for the community and whilst there might be some immediate benefits to your business ultimately it is about the community thriving year round and and you're building advocacy as well I'm, I'm assuming for your business that they're all becoming champions of your holiday park and recommending you when they're out and about as well as a result of this yeah we we make sure that we communicate with all the businesses so we don't want to step on people's toes we don't we're not the only people doing amazing stuff just just to kind of (laughs) out there because we're not there's so many people doing great things and and all pulling together Uh at this time so we just hope that we're making a bit of a difference for other businesses as well and bringing them business in a time where they wouldn't otherwise have too much business so yeah we appreciate the support that we receive from them and we try and keep engaged with them catch up with them whenever we can talk to them about what they're currently up to and let them know what we're currently up to and then look at any synergies that we can that we can meet at the same time yeah mm. and, and we went to expos and roadshows to see 
to, and, and normally they were based around the kids finding jobs, but we would engage their teachers and ask them, what were they looking for? What did they want? What did they need? Mm-hmm. Uh, how could we fill a gap in their curriculum or, or mm-hmm. list their curriculum? And the fact that history is now part of the curriculum as of 2022 and Maori studies, we could help them kill two birds with one stone in learning experiences away from school. Mm. So we thought that, that was a good basis for us to, to use for developing the programs that we, we did. So that was helpful. And it's actually been really great um, just knocking on the doors around the schools in Northland and just saying, yeah. hey, we're here. If there's anything we can do to support you, let us know because we hadn't ever done that before, but we had a bit of time that we could do that. Yeah. And really interesting how now that Auckland is shut off, it has a huge impact on the holiday park, but we've actually had quite a few Northland schools knock on our door and say, hey, we want to come and stay because our trip to Auckland is cancelled. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, just the engagement with people, I think, is a huge thing. Mm. Right, amazing. And you've seen some tangible and quantifiable results. And do you think this will carry on um, even when borders do open? Is this something that you'll have as your core part of your business? Absolutely. Um, as it was before COVID, winter was always a quiet time. Right. And for at least a couple of months in midwinter, mm-hmm. we would find that it would be incredibly quiet and you might have a few people around. If we could engage the groups to come and keep coming and offer them what they need. I can't see anything other than it getting bigger and better. Mm. And I think that's proved in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Well, particularly this year, we've had a huge year. Um, Last year, we had about eight schools, but COVID did prevent some of the schools coming. This year, we've had 21 schools and we still have a huge amount of schools to go next month or in the next couple of months. So it's actually becoming really huge and hopefully, well, some schools are booked for next year. Some schools are booked for two years mm-hmm. in advance. So we are seeing results and we are, I think one of the things that we're hoping from all this is that we would reduce seasonality a little bit yep. and hopefully reduce it for other businesses in the area as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's really good. The other part of that is summer, although summer is is normally our key business area i mean for effectively a couple of months we do a fair chunk of our business unfortunately with covid everyone comes for the two weeks and then goes back to work so you only have x amount of land that you can rent out at any one time we wish that people would have tapered their time frames or been able to and it would help us spread out that so people get a better experience they're not all crammed in and mm. and on so the winter side of it is helpful to help us with the I suppose losses that we've not made due to the fact that everyone's gone back to work after two weeks or so and Mm. it's been been quite uh, yeah quite interesting and so this has been very beneficial and we can't see a reason why it wouldn't get any better especially if we keep listening to what these groups want yeah yeah definitely I remember last year there was some discussion around moving uh, school holidays for different regions to try and balance out some of that peak demand and I still think that that's a fantastic idea and I wish that that could happen in some way because it is we're seeing that all over the country so it would be nice to see them 
moved out and stretched out a little bit. I laughed, Michelle, because that's what they do in Australia. The different states have different holidays, like they may have a week crossover and whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just finally, before we wrap up, where do you want to take your community engagement in the future? What does success look like for you in a few years' time? I think success for us is, as we just said, about reducing seasonality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Northland, it's a tough place. You know, the culture is so diverse. It's raw in places. We have seen the best of it. We've seen the worst of it when we've become refuge to our employees. There's like a lost generation there of people who can't read. They can't write. Mm. It's been such an eye-opening experience owning a business in Northland so I think we really want to do more to support these issues so supporting the local community in having jobs all year round because we just can't do that at the moment with the way that the businesses run with all our turnover in the summer Mm. if we can get more turnover throughout the year then that will enable us to keep people on in permanent positions throughout the year offering incentives like childcare with our holiday programs I think that's another thing that how everything can tie together to make everything better. Yeah, get staff retention, being able to offer better pay, being able to offer transport to those that are stuck in regions that don't have any public transport. So just kind of trying to make a bit of a difference in Northland as well. Yeah, so we're looking at picking people up from areas across the water so that if they haven't got transport currently themselves, they don't have to worry about that. We can make sure that they can get to and from work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Help maybe a a slightly lesser off person who doesn't have the ability to buy a car or or be able to get transport. So that will help them in that way. And yeah, so all year round, really giving people more stability in their lives because the instability of an income is very hard on a lot of the families around where we are. And so that's very helpful for them. And of course, if we can keep them on, we have less turnover of people and and better people working for us or happier people working for us. Yeah, we're looking at being Oscar approved. So we have put in our application to be Oscar approved. So that will open up the holiday program to more locals that don't have big incomes to be able to put their children into holiday programs, which then enables them to work throughout the year. Because if there's Mm. no childcare, people can't work. Yeah, and yeah. there's so many problems that need to be addressed in Northland, and if we can be a tiny bit of the solution with the things that we are doing, that would be really great for us. Absolutely. Sounds like you're doing a lot of the solutions. <laughs> it's not a tiny bit. You're helping. We're, we're, we're a small jigsaw, a small piece of the jigsaw, and, and maybe a few more pieces fitting to us might make the picture a bit better and a bit bigger for everyone else. Yeah. And give people hope in Northland. I'm not saying it's a hopeless place at all, but there are some sectors of society that do need a leg up. And yeah. uh, There's so many people with such amazing talents and amazing stories that we just don't know about because they're just hidden away in little corners of Northland. And it's like, let's bring these people out and let's hear their stories. And Yeah. Sometimes it is just that enablement of them being mm. able tell their stories isn't it and well one unearthing them and finding them but then giving them a platform to actually tell their stories is is all they need and that's sometimes the hard part but yeah it's like you guys are doing a fabulous job and Russell are lucky to have you yeah (laughs) hope so hope so I mean hopefully and supporting the other businesses in the area as well is really 
special to us to be able to support them in these quiet times. And we're looking at funding as well, working with amazing voluntary organisations like Project Island Song in, in bringing Auckland schools up to experience what Northland has to offer as well and getting funding for that. So just looking at all kinds of options to, yeah, to support the area, the businesses, the people and the education in the area as well. And Kiwi Nets have been very useful and very helpful and very good. Yeah, oh, there's just so many businesses that we have engaged with that have been amazing. We've had the businesses come up to the holiday program. So our, our predator-free holiday program that we've ran last time we had Kiwi North come up from Whangarei. They talked about pests and predators. We had Project Island Song come and talk about the predators on the islands. And we've had the local um, minibus tour operator coming and offering, volunteering her time because she's an old teacher that just wants to spend a bit of time with kids. Aww. We've had the local guy down the road making rat traps for us out of wood because he just wanted to give a bit of time and it's just the community wow. just really pulls together to support the initiatives that we're doing and so if we can continue that and bring more people on board we're growing these kids in this area through our holiday program we're bringing them up mm. in the time that the parents don't have with them so yeah let's do it as a community yeah and Oh, that sounds brilliant. Well, look, that wraps up our questions and our chat for today. And I'd love to sit here and learn a whole lot more about what yeah. you guys are doing. But thank you, Tori and James. It's been great catching up with you again. And congratulations on being a finalist in two of the categories for this year's Tourism Awards. We're sure that you'll have a great night at the awards ceremony in November. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, we can. Yeah, it should be a great time. And for our listeners, we have a fabulous prize to get you to Northland. And we have two nights in a studio cabin at the Russell Orongo Bay Holiday Park, valued at up to $360. So head to our Instagram page, destinate underscore NZ, to find out more and enter. And Tori and James will catch up with you again soon. Look great. forward to Thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.